You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Hey, good morning. My name's Clayton King, and um, I'm honored to be able to preach for you guys and ladies for the next three and a half to four hours. I'm very (laughs) excited about what awaits us. It is good to be back in Morganton. So I've got a lot of connections to your fair city. First of all, Back in the 1900s, I went to college at Gardner-Webb University, went to school with a bunch of folks from Morganton, met a guitar player named Ricky Rodriguez, who still lives here. I was in a Christian rock and roll band in 1995 or six, I guess, recorded our first record somewhere here in Morganton with Ricky. Um, I also proposed to my wife in Linville Gorge, and I think it was actually Burke County. I think we're on the Burke County side. So my love life began right here in Burke County. Come on, somebody. Um, Thank you. Praise the Lord. I also, uh, so I'm a pastor at a church in South Carolina called New Spring. I live in Anderson, South Carolina. And my wife and I run a nonprofit organization called Crossroads. And we do a lot of different things. But one of the things that we do are Crossroads summer camps. And your students come to our camp every summer. And I just hired a, a Burke County guy who grew up here in Morganton to work for us for our summer camps named Matt Buckland. And I am sure that somebody in here knows Matt Buckland. Or do you really? Did I make a mistake? I know, I'm just kidding. He's a good guy. How are you related to Matt? I'm not related to him, but I grew up in church with him. Did you really? Okay, great. Well, I just met his former youth pastor at my book table. So got a guy from from Morganton that works for us. And there was some other connection I had to Morganton. Oh, I went out on a date with a girl one time from Morganton. Not going to tell you her name um, (laughs) because there's no telling. So anyway, just one date. That's all I got to say about that. One and done and we're out. All right. It's going to be a great day today. I'm really honored to come and preach for you. You know, I wanted to be able to come and serve you as a church today, also serve Pastor Mike, our team, and and me personally. We've been praying for you and praying for Pastor Mike and his family in a a crazy, crazy season of just loss and grief, but also celebrating the power of the gospel and promise of resurrection. And so when I got invited to come and preach today, it was a real honor for me to be able to come. My son, Jacob, is 20. He speaks for our ministry. He speaks at our camps. He's going to be here in, I think, two or three weeks. And uh, he's really excited about coming as well. He's a student at Anderson University. I drove up today from South Carolina. I just want to tell you, global warming is going to kill us all, man. Snowing in the middle of March. I had a real good time driving up here today. And and, um, and very, very thankful that we get to be together. Hey, turn to Mark chapter 5 if you brought a Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, the, the message uh, notes, at least the verses are going to be up on the screens. And while you're turning there, I uh, want to mention a couple of things to you. First of all, uh, if you're ever killing time at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, uh, 
I would love for you to tune in to 106.9 FM. Uh, Four weeks ago, I started preaching on the radio at 106.9 The Light. I've been preaching for years, just little one-minute sermon clips, but I preach for 30 minutes every Sunday night now at 6 p.m. on 106.9 The Light. So if you're ever bored and you can't fall asleep, just play one of my sermons on 106.9. I love having a partnership with Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Well, the message I wanted to preach today is really, you know, when I get invited to preach at a church, and I've done this for 36 years, I always want to come to serve. I was praying and asking the Lord, what would you have me preach on? And this is honestly one of, if not my top three favorite stories in the Bible. It's about a woman who went through some really hard times. But it's not just about her going through difficulty. It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His ability to heal sick people, to help hurting people, and to save broken people. That's what this story is about. And I thought that this would be appropriate not only because every single person here today is going to be able to relate to this woman's story, but also because I've been through some things over the last three years that have drawn me back to this story over and over again. So I'm a pastor and an evangelist, but I'm also an author. And so three and a half years ago, I was working on a book. I've written 18 books now. And I was working on a book, and I brought some copies with me today. I wanted to show it to you called Reborn. The inspiration for this book was literally the woman in Mark chapter 5. I wanted to write a book about 12 people that met Jesus in the Gospels and how Jesus really changed them and how Jesus still changes people today. And so this woman had always appealed to me. This story had always spoken to my heart because it's just so raw and this woman had so much in her life that she had to fight through. So as I preach this, I want to to just get you prepped a little bit. I was raised in three church traditions, so you may get a little bit of the Baptist today. You might get a little of the Presbyterian today. You might get a little of the Pentecostal in me today. I might get so fired up. If y'all start saying amen, if y'all start clapping, I might take a lap. I'm serious. I might do it. So my my parents were Southern Baptist. I went to, oh, you're already clapping. Come on, brother. Are you set? Don't, Don't mess with me. I'll take a lap. I'll take two, because it takes two to make a thing go right. Rob Bass said so. All right, so my, my parents were Southern Baptists. My grandpa, my grandpa was Pentecostal, and I went to a Presbyterian Christian school. Do I need to say that again? Isn't that crazy? Two things. First of all, I need counseling and therapy. Baptist, Presbyterian, and Pentecostal at the same time. And the, and the second thing I want you to know, I was predestined to speak in tongues while eating fried chicken and drinking wine at a deacon's meeting. Now, come on, people. That's funny. I don't care who you are. You got to laugh at that. Loosen up a little bit. We're not all Baptists here today. Let's have some fun. All right. So Mark chapter 5, we're introduced to this woman. We don't know her name, but we know her story. Scriptures are going to be up on the screens. I want to read this to you. And you know what? I'm just going to scrap my notes and go with the Holy Ghost today, if that's okay with y'all. By the way, in the first gathering before y'all came in here, Ten people prayed for assurance of salvation to give their lives to Jesus Christ right here at the Summit Community Church. That's revival. 
That's the greatest miracle of all. Well, let me get started here. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 23. Now, a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Let's leave that up there for just a second. We are all of a sudden immediately introduced to, first of all, a woman. If you were a woman in the first century in ancient Judea or ancient Israel, you were already in a deficit. It's one of the things I love most about Jesus. Jesus came to show us that male and female have equal value to God. The reason why our, come on, some, oh, wow. Y'all gonna go crazy. I'm gonna preach till one o'clock if y'all keep doing that. <laughs> Jesus came and elevated women to a place of, of value that the ancient world had never known before. So it's a woman, and this woman had an issue. The problem that she had, you may think was only physical. It started as a physical problem, but the issue is also spiritual, emotional, and psychological. What was her problem? Mark tells us that she bled for 12 years. All right, let's do a little history test here. How many of y'all can remember the first grade? Put your hand up if you can remember the first grade. Anything about the first grade? Anything. You know what I remember about first grade? Having a crush on Angie Jones. She never knew I existed, but I, I was in love with her. I remember nap time and snack time. Man, I could use some first grade in my life right now at age 50. Snacks and naps, my love languages. Okay, first grade, you remember that? All right, now, how many of you can remember your senior year in high school? Can I see those hands? You remember that? It was 1991 for me. I was driving a black Chevy Camaro with a 350. I was listening to Bon Jovi and Michael Jackson and Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock. I was playing high school football. I had a girlfriend for two weeks. It was a good time in my life. Okay, first grade and 12th grade. The distance between those two? 12 years. She was sick for 12 years. I want you to feel it. 12 is more than a number. Those were actual years that she bled. Now, we don't know what the issue was. She could have had a chronic nosebleed, bleeding ulcer, hemophiliac. My dad was a hemophiliac in the last 10 years of his life because of his uh, heart disease and diabetes. He had to take blood thinners. We were always afraid that if he cut himself, he would bleed to death. Now, I know that when you bleed, you get weak. I'm not a medical doctor, but I know this. Your blood carries oxygen to the cells of your body. Your blood is primarily iron. The first time I gave blood was my senior year in high school, and all they said was, we've got a blood drive. If you want to give blood, sign up at the front office, and you can miss a whole period of school. I was like, can I sign up for seven of them? And I signed up, and, and when I went in, the nurse said, did you eat breakfast this morning? I said, no. She said, you should eat something. We got some cookies and orange juice. I'm like, I don't need that. I'm tough. She's like, no, you need to eat something. You're, you're, you'll pass out. I'm like, I'm a country boy. Don't you know what Hank Williams Jr. said? A country boy can survive. I am tough. She's like, 
Okay, I'm going to ask you one more time. You need to eat something. I'm like, I'll be fine. They took a pint of blood. I passed out in the library and it was on a couch in the library for almost an hour. That's how weak it made me when I lost one pint. She continually lost blood for 12 years. I want, to, I want you to understand just how weak she was. I want you to understand how broken she was. She's not just physically weak, she's financially broke. Mark records that she had spent everything she had on doctors. But instead of getting better, what does Mark say? She got worse. Anybody ever felt that way with a health issue or a sickness? Or I've got friends right now who are waiting on results of tests and scans. I've got a friend right now. I won't go into details for time's sake, but I've got a friend right now in my church who's waiting for a test result tomorrow to let him know if he has a terminal illness. Can you imagine the emotion that she had to carry, the feelings that she had to fight through every day? Now, not only... Is she sick and weak? Not only is she financially broke, but she's a Jewish woman and she's unclean. Now, unclean means something totally different to a Jew than it does to us. I've been to Israel 10 times. Next month, I'll lead my 11th trip to Israel. And I know some things just from seminary and from traveling to Israel. Because of her bleeding, she was unclean. She couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem for Passover. That's where sacrifices were made. She couldn't even go to the synagogue in her village. There's a synagogue in Capernaum that's still there today. They don't meet there. I've been there 10 times, and that may have been the place where she would have worshipped, but she couldn't go. You know why? Because Leviticus said anyone who has blood, anyone who bleeds is unclean. That means you have to be separated from everybody until the bleeding stops. What do you do if the bleeding never stops? You live in isolation. Feel the, the weight of this woman's situation here. I'm not going to dumb it down for us today. I'm going to be honest and transparent with you today because I know a little bit about how she felt. Never had the same situation. I can remember in 2020 when the world shut down and everybody got told to stay in your homes. I I'm, probably don't know this about me. You can't tell, but I'm kind of wound up. I'm kind of high strung. I never meet a stranger. I'm an extrovert. I'll be the last person in the lobby at my book table today because I love people. And when I was told I had to distance myself from other people, it sent me into a tailspin. I love my wife. She's my very best friend. I love my boys, 20 years old and 17 years old. I love my family. This woman probably never got married because no man would have probably married her if she bled for 12 years. Maybe she's past her childbearing years. She probably has no children. She, since she couldn't go to the temple or the synagogue, think about her life just going, to the, just going down to the market, just walking around town. Everybody avoids her. Because if, as a Jew, if you touch somebody that was unclean, you were unclean too. So imagine this woman, she gets a, a message, she hears the rumor Everybody's talking about a guy named Jesus. He might be the Messiah that Isaiah prophesied about, that Daniel spoke about. He might be the Son of God. She's hearing stories that he can heal sick people. And then she hears, he's coming to your town. And so of course she thinks into her mind, 
If he's the Messiah, he can heal me. He can save me. And I don't care who I make unclean or who I offend, I'm going to get to him. He might not be the Messiah, but I'm going to shoot my shot and give it all I got. And if it kills me, I'm getting there. And I won't know if he's the Messiah unless I see it for myself. When I'm sharing the gospel with lost people, they've got all kinds of reasons why they don't want to become a Christian. But no matter what their reasons are, I almost always leave the conversation at the same place. Hey, I can't convince you that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with my words and wisdom, but I will tell you what I want you to do. Just give him a try and see for yourself if he won't change your life. Just open up your heart and say, Jesus, if you're real, prove yourself to me. Just ask him to show you who he is and he'll do it. I've never ever heard a single person say that they asked Jesus to reveal himself to them and he failed to do it. So this woman is, look, 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 she's bringing a lot of baggage with her that day. She's dragging a, a decade plus two, a dozen years worth of frustration, fear, anger, disillusionment, confusion, isolation, depression. She's bringing all that to Jesus. Do you see now why I like this story so much? This is me. I don't know you, but I bet it's you too, because I know people. 36 years in ministry. This month, 36 years ago, this month, I preached my first sermon as a 14-year-old kid. And I thought it would get easier when I first became a Christian. I thought following Jesus would get easier. It has been the opposite. Jesus has never let me down, but the world lets me down. People let me down. My body lets me down. I let myself down. What I've learned is as life gets harder, Jesus gets better. Jesus gets sweeter. And heaven looks a lot more enticing. So she comes to Jesus and then when she gets there, something really remarkable happens. It says in verse 20, uh, 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Now, I look out balcony, floor. Praise God, everybody wore clothes to church today. Isn't that a blessing? I don't think I've ever shown up at a church where everybody was anything other than fully clothed. Praise the Lord. But the word clothes here is an English word. That's not the word in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word is kanaf. Now that's important because it's really fascinating. The word kanaf is an outer garment like a cloak. Some of y'all brought a coat to church today. I didn't because it's March. I didn't think I would need one. But a Jewish rabbi would wear an outer garment. It was basically a square or rectangle. They would place it over their head and it looked more like a blanket. And there were four corners of that kanaf. And the four corners held four tassels, one on each corner. And the word for tassel in Hebrew is zit zit, T-Z-I-T, zit zit. And in Leviticus, I believe it's Leviticus 17, it talks about the tassels. Jewish men today still wear them. They're blue and white, and these four tassels hang from the corners of their garments. And there were numbers 
that were associated with those tassels. There was a number that was equivalent to the books of the law. There was a, a number that was equivalent to the Ten Commandments and the way that they wove that, that cotton or that wool blend. There were numbers. Those tassels were symbolic of God's covenant, God's faithfulness. And Jewish men still wear them on the corners of their garments today underneath their suit coats. Not every Jewish man, but conservative and Orthodox Jews. I'll see it next month. So she's thinking to herself, when I get there, when I see Jesus, I've got to reach up and grab that corner. I've got to grab that tassel. If I can just grab the tassel, I'll be healed. Now that is fascinating. Doesn't make a lot of sense on the surface. So I'm writing the book Reborn and I could not figure out I asked several people, why is she obsessed with grabbing the corner of his garment? What is it about it? And later on, I would discover that she not only had to fight through a lot of emotion to get there, but she came to Jesus that day with extreme faith. The next verse tells us what happens. So she is going there to get ahead of Jesus. She wants to grab hold of that kanaf, the tassel. And it says in verse 29, instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So she actually approaches Jesus. The crowds, if you just read the four Gospels, the crowds in Galilee were always massive. Matter of fact, one crowd we know was 20,000 people. When Jesus fed 5,000 men, the average Jewish family would have been four or more. 20,000 people came to have their bellies filled that day. We have no reason to think there would have been fewer than that here this day. She touches his clothes. Her healing happens. She was healed of her affliction. Her body knew that something had changed at once, verse 30. It's about to get good at once. Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked a question. Who touched my clothes? Fair question. Now you do know that Jesus knows who touched his clothes, right? Because he's Jesus. Don't forget when you're Jesus, you literally know it all. He wins jeopardy every single night. He guesses every single wheel of fortune word and phrase. He always knows everything. He knows the answer to every knock-knock joke. He knows all the trivia. When Jesus asks a question in the Bible, it's not because he needs somebody smarter than him to tell him the answer. Nobody's smarter than Jesus. When he asks a question, he just wants to see who out there has the faith to know the answer. He's trying to showcase this woman. He's trying to elevate her. I mean, hundreds of people are touching Jesus that day. Why does he point her out? Because she touched him with faith. Because she came to him with desperation. Now look what the disciples say next. This shouldn't be any surprise to you if you've ever read about the disciples. His disciples said to him, Lord, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? Don't y'all love the disciples? These doofuses are always getting it wrong. I love the disciples because I know if they changed the world, there's hope for me. I feel like this all the time. I should know what Jesus is doing. I have to ask. I'm constantly trying to learn lessons. I could have learned it in a week, but it took me 10 years. They, they're like, hey, Jesus, everybody's touching you. But Jesus turns around in the crowd because he's going to find this woman. 
It says he was looking, verse 32. He was looking around to see who had done this. Then, watch, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. Now when Mark, just to nerd out here for a second, when Mark uses that phrase, she told him the whole truth, based on the way Mark sometimes writes, it probably means that right there in the moment she told him, 12 years, bleeding every day, praying every day, excluded from the community, ostracized, marginalized, pushed to the side, not married, no kids, depressed, anxious, worried, but still have faith. It gives the impression that Mark may have later on even interviewed her personally and gotten this story or corroborated the details. She told Jesus the whole truth. In our last verse, verse 34, daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. We don't know her name. We don't know if she was Jane or Mary. We don't know anything about her except what these verses tell us, but we know her identity. Daughter. A woman who had possibly not even known human touch for 12 years now receives a warm and kind word from Jesus. A warm and kind welcome from the Son of God. She is not pushed away. She is not turned away. No one runs away. Jesus literally picks her out of the crowd of thousands of people and calls her daughter. I want you to see that Jesus cares about the outcast. I want you to see that Jesus is always looking for the person that I overlook. And I want you to see that when you have felt like no one sees you, Jesus does. And when you feel like nobody's there on the other end of your prayers, Jesus is. And when you have asked God for something and it's not happening and you're wondering why, Jesus is still there and he sees you and he cares about you and he knows you. And he doesn't just know you as a nameless face in a crowd. He calls you his own son. He calls you his own daughter. This is the gospel, and this is the message that the Big C Church in America had better get really loud about right now, or we're going to lose a generation. We better get really loud about the love of God. We better get really loud about the grace of Jesus. We better get really loud about telling people, you don't have to be perfect to come to church. As a matter of fact, if you're perfect, you're going to hate it here because we're all messed up at this church, but we're all moving towards Jesus. We better get that message clear right now. Because Jesus hadn't changed at all. And I just want you to see yourself in this woman's story. That we're all in some way, shape, or form just like her. Can I tell you why this message has resonated with me? I started writing this book in 2019. I, 2019 was like the best year of my life. I got a sabbatical for the first time. I celebrated my 20th anniversary. Our summer camps had their biggest summer ever. I saw massive numbers of people saved. The last day of 2019, literally on, on New Year's Eve, I got to preach to 100,000 people in Kampala, Uganda, in Mandela Stadium, and saw 20,000 people saved in one night as the clock struck zero into 2020. Best year of my life. Absolute best year of my life. And then, 
My gallbladder died. I was in Charleston, South Carolina. I had to be rushed to the hospital. I had to have emergency surgery. Got real, real sick. And uh, God spared my life. <clears throat> then not long after that, this little thing called COVID happened. 2020 was supposed to be a banner year for our ministry. But instead of hitting record attendance at all of our camps and conferences, we hit zero and we lost $2 million at Crossroads. Had to, just had to pray, God, what are you up to? All my events got canceled. Everybody got sick. I got sick. Then 16 months ago, I started having a pain in my right side and it was my appendix. My appendix exploded. It died, turned septic, exploded. And because there was a COVID outbreak, they didn't give me any IV antibiotics after my surgery. They just put me in a wheelchair and pushed me on out the door. That, that's literally what happened. I went home, sepsis set in. Several days later, I go back to the hospital. I'm in the hospital for three or four days. IV antibiotics, sickest I've ever been in my life. That was 16 months ago. Then about a year ago, my wife starts having some pain. She has an entire year, 24 hours a day, seven days a week of extreme pain from endometriosis. Ladies, you know what that's about, if you've ever had it or known someone who's had it. Then five months ago, my wife has a hysterectomy, major surgery five months ago. Then six weeks ago today, my wife calls me from the bathroom, come help run to the bathroom. I'm helping my wife to the bed to put her shoes on to take her to the ER when she literally collapses in the middle of the floor. I caught her, held her head up, her face turned gray, her skin turned cold, and for one whole minute, I thought my wife was dead. And I'm just praying, God, help. Help. She finally came back. I rushed her to the ER. Appendix. Her appendix ruptured in my arms. So five days in the hospital, she comes home. When they gave her surgery, they tried to take out her burst appendix laparoscopically. That didn't work, so they had to pull all of that out and go straight old school and just slice her. Right down the middle, 23 steel staples. Oh, and I forgot one other thing over the last three years. I was in a plane crash. A 747, a Delta flight, a 747, me and my son that you'll meet in a couple of weeks, ask him about it. We're coming in to land in Atlanta and the tires explode upon landing and our plane goes sideways, tips up on its side, sideways the other way, tips up on its side. I felt like Fred Sanford. This is the big one, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you, honey. That's been my last three years. How y'all been doing? I'm just trying to be honest with y'all. If I did not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have quit. I would have walked away. I would have just said, forget about it. I would have completely left the faith. But I can't leave him. He's the person I need the most to get me through those things. I, I, have to, I have to hang on to him. I'm not gonna deconstruct my faith because something bad happens to me. It's gonna strengthen my faith because Jesus is the one that pulls me through those things. When she went to Jesus, she knew that Jesus was her only hope. And what I'm telling you today 
as honestly and bluntly as I know how. I don't care if you're worth $10 million or you don't have $10 to your name. You will not go to heaven unless you come to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and receive his grace. You will not. And I'm telling you that no matter what sins you've committed or how the devil has told you you don't belong and you're not good enough and God could never love you, the devil is a liar. And he's going to burn in hell forever. Revelation 20.10 says that. Quit listening to the lies of the enemy tell you that you have no place in the kingdom of God. And listen to the Holy Spirit because he's speaking to some of y'all right now. Telling you, just reach up and grab the corner of Jesus' garment. He'll save you. He'll heal you. He's your only hope. Jesus isn't just a good idea. He's our only hope. So why, why was she, like what was it about the, 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 the kanaf? So I did the math on this. This woman, if she prayed one time a day for 12 years, just once a day, God heal me, she would have prayed 4,380 prayers, all unanswered. Let that sink in. If she was a good Jew, she would have prayed five times a day. So let's say that she prayed five times a day for 12 years. That's 21,900. 100 unanswered prayers. That's rough. That's hard. Life is rough. Life is hard. There is sickness and there is depression and there is loss and there is confusion. And there is death and there are funerals. I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day. Preached my mom's funeral 18 months before that. And we are not promised that we get an easy life. And you are not promised that you will get an exemption from hard times. But you are promised you get a companion through hard times. And I'll take a companion over an exemption any day. Because I have walked through some hard things with Jesus. And I love him more now than when things were easy and simple when I was 14 years old. Because he has pulled me up out of the miry pit and set my feet on a rock. And if you don't believe it's true, then you better believe I believe it's true because it's been true in my life and when I preached my dad's funeral on Father's Day I said to God we had a talk I said God I, I prayed for you to heal my dad for 10 years you didn't do it you know what the Holy Spirit said to me yes I did I gave you 10 more years with him and now he's fully healed and he's with me in heaven and we're waiting on you. I'm preparing a place for you, son. I'll see you soon. So I'm sitting there on my couch and I'm trying to finish the manuscript for the book. And uh, the Lord had told me several things about this book. One of the things was that I was, could give the book away and... Um, that's why I brought it today. You can have one for free. You can pay what they usually cost, or you can just take one. I brought plenty, and I hope all of y'all get one. I really do. You can, if you can't afford one, just take one or pay what you can afford. I don't care. But the other thing about this book that kept fascinating me was all these broken people in the Gospels, starting with this woman. So I'm sitting there on the couch, and, I, and I'm, my publisher is emailing me. Where's the manuscript? You're late. Get it to me. And I'm like, I, got, I can't figure out why she's obsessed with his garment, like the kanaf, like the, the zit zit, that tassel. 
And I'm, and I'm looking at a commentary, and this theologian mentions Malachi 4, 2. Malachi 4, 2 says this, When the Son of Righteousness appears, He shall rise with healing in His wings. The English word is wings. When I think about wings, I think about chicken wings, <laughs> the wings of an airplane, or the wings of you know, a building. That word wing right there is the, is the Hebrew word kanaf. The same word that's used in Mark chapter 5. So this woman had memorized and recited Malachi 4.2 probably every single day for 12 years. Son of righteousness is coming. He's going to have healing in the corner of his garments. That's why she was reaching for the tassels. It wasn't because she thought the, ma the tassels had magic power. It's because she believed the Bible. Malachi 4.2 was her Bible. And she sees Jesus, and she probably pushing through the crowd, crawling along the ground. And when she gets up to Jesus, she reaches up and grabs the wings of his garment, the kanaf. And I'm sitting there on my couch. And I'm reading this, and it's blowing my mind. And I look down. And I had my arm resting on a pillow. I have a lot of pillows in my house because I'm married to a woman. And she loves pillows. We got 300 of them or more. And I look down, and I kid you not, there are not just four tassels hanging from the corners of that pillow. There are four blue and white tassels. Same color. <clears throat> and I'm like, God, you did this for me. You did this for me. This is your way of showing me that you see me and love me. But because I'm an evangelist and I travel and preach, I'm always looking for a good sermon illustration. So I'm like, okay. I looked around to make sure my wife wasn't watching. And I grabbed that tassel. And I pulled it right off the corner of that pillow. <laughs> broke it. Stuck it in my pocket. I said, I'm going to use this. I'm going to show people what this thing looks like. <laughs> this is it. Not a replica. This is the tassel from Pottery Barn. <laughs> I carry it around in my pocket. I show people this is not what healed her. This is not what heals you. But can I show you what saves us and heals us? Here it is. Are you ready? This. This is faith. Faith is when you take Jesus at his word. Faith is when you quit making excuses and you just say, Jesus, I'm going to let you love me. Here I am, broken, sinful, messed up, jacked up, busted up. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you can heal me. I believe you shed your blood to wash my sin away. So I'm going to grab hold of it. Thousands of people trying to grab Jesus that day. One woman grabbed him with faith and desperation. That's the woman Jesus noticed. That's the woman Jesus spoke to. That's the woman we're still talking about 2,000 years later. And I can't wait to see her in heaven. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go and be healed from your affliction. Do you want to be healed today physically, emotionally, spiritually? Grab hold of Jesus. Do you need help in your marriage? Grab hold of Jesus. Do you need help at work? Grab hold of Jesus. Do you need to make some changes? you need help with anxiety, depression, lack of motivation? Grab hold of Jesus. Your phone ain't going to save you. The government ain't going to save you. I'll say it. Don't care if I offend you. The Democrats, the Republicans, the Independents, not going to save you. Jesus is our only hope. So reach up and grab him.
I think somebody needs to give their life to Christ right now. Can you close your eyes and pray with me? Just close your eyes and open your hearts. Close your eyes and open your hearts. If you have never fully known the assurance of salvation, if you don't know whether you're going to go to heaven or hell when you die, if you want to give your life to Jesus right now, if you want to nail it down for real right now, if you were raised Baptist or Catholic or atheist, it doesn't matter. If you're not certain that Jesus Christ lives in your heart, I'm going to tell you how to repent of your sins and give your life to him right now. And you can join 10 people, most of them adults, by the way, that just pray to receive Christ in the first service. But better than that, you can know Jesus and his peace today. The way that you know you're a Christian is this. You simply ask Jesus to save you. That's faith. So with your eyes closed and your hearts open, ask him right now if you need assurance that you belong to Christ. Pray this to him in your heart. He's listening. Jesus, I need you. Go ahead, pray it to him. He's listening. Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. I want to know you. I want to follow you. So I repent of my sin. I put my faith in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive. So I give you my heart. Come on in, Jesus, right now. I'm all yours. I love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.